This podcast includes information provided by the issuer and does not express the views of the interviewer. This podcast may also include forward-looking statements by the issuer that involve certain risks and uncertainties to its business. Because forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, the issuer's actual results could differ from those indicated in this podcast. This is Robert Kraft, and I'm your host for the Planet Microcap podcast. And joining me today, my guest is Maya Peterson. She is the author of uh, a couple books now, uh, uh, Early Bird, The Power of Investing Young, and also the forthcoming Lighthouses, Women Leading the Way in Finance. Maya, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. It's an honor to have you, and uh, congratulations on all your success thus far. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's really incredible, and that's why I'm so stoked to have you on right now. Um, first things first, before we dig into background and everything like that, how is the family holding up? Everybody okay? Uh, how are we surviving the, uh, the pandemic right now? Everyone's doing well, staying home, not getting on everyone's nerves quite yet. Oh, good. Okay. Not, not yet. But, uh, not yet. There's yeah. still time. Oh, yeah. Plenty of time. There you go. All right. So let's dig right in. You know, um, when did your investing journey begin? So I started off pretty young, uh, around nine or 10 years old. Um, when I was nine, I started a camp called Camp Kids. Uh, my friend and I wanted to babysit in mass. And so we thought if we got five or six neighborhood kids in, um, we could make a lot of money for that time, which was probably like five or $10. Um, so after earning a little bit of money with that camp, my parents suggested to not just save it, but to invest it. And so they would give me weekly reading assignments, um, little activities like rating chocolate and then comparing the companies and comparing the taste of the chocolate um, and seeing which ones I liked better. And so after I started to read How to Invest, I just got super interested in it. And I didn't have enough money from Camp Kids, so I sold my two American Girl dolls, and I decided to use that money to invest in Mattel and Hasbro, both companies I'm still shareholders of this day. Um, and so I just, I was a big person, I learned a lot about how to invest in what you know, and as a young person, that's pretty easy, and it's an easy way to start out. Um, so I just started out then, and then the joy of investing just continued to compound through the years. That is so cool. I I'm sorry. I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be fanboying on you all day because that is so cool. I I love that. I mean, so I have to ask. I mean, were, are your parents in finance or like how did they know to even say, hey, you know, let's do these homework assignments. Let's learn a little bit more about investing. You know, tell me. So um, I think business is just in my blood. Both of my parents are entrepreneurs. My grandmother was, uh, she ran the um, old folks home she was actually living in, um, in a time when women weren't really even allowed to handle the finances. And so um, it's just always been something that I've been surrounded by. My mom runs the finances in our family. Um, and so it just, it's something that I've been so lucky to be surrounded by. Uh, neither of them are in finance or in a finance role, but they're both big, passionate investors. Yeah. Got it. So, I mean, outside of these, you know, the homework assignments and then selling your American Girl dolls to them by Mattel and Hasbro. I mean, what about investing was what, what drew you in? You know, why, why, how did it become a passion of yours? So I would say it would definitely be the people of finance. It. Um, I'm always 
been a big numbers person. Math has always been my favorite subject in school, but it's definitely been the people. Um, in Early Bird, I talk about there's like nerdiness, humility, and frugality, and those are all characteristics that I think all investors have, good investors have. Um, and so I showed up at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting for my first time when I was 10 years old, and I was treated with so much respect um, by all of these, I mean, professional, amazing investors um, that I had never had gotten when I was 10 because I'm a young person and classics to be seen but not heard. Um, but as we know, with compounding, you need time and money, and I had the most time out of everyone, so of course I deserve the most respect. Uh, no, but I just, I was really amazed with how much respect I was given and how, um, my insights were treated and how they just really wanted to hear what I had to say. Um, and so I think it's been the people that have kept me, um, staying and investing, staying passionate and just the conversations that you can have and also just the openness with everybody to talk to. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's, isn't that one of the coolest things about our industry is when you express mm -hmm. you have a passion for finance or investing, people just want to know what you have to say. You know, they want to hear yeah. where you're, they don't care if you're 10, 50 or, I, I mean, I, I don't think my newborn daughter could really talk too much yet about, <laughs> but that, but you know, they, hopefully soon, that would be cool. But, but I also have to ask, I mean, you know, you're 10 years old getting started. I mean, were you telling your friends like, hey, you know, I'm getting kind of started with investing. You know, you guys should look at this too. I mean, what was their reaction, you know, as you're kind of, you know, learning more and growing up at the same time? A lot of my friends got annoyed at me because I would tell them to stop going to the vending machine and stop buying their snacks and start saving their money and investing with it. Um, and then I also had the friends who were just as passionate about math and finance as I was. And we started like a small investment club. Um and had activities like the chocolate activity um, and were just able to kind of compare and look at companies together. It was the same team as my robotics team, coincidentally, but um, it was it was fun. And so I just had a wide array of either people I had to scream at to let them know to save and others that already were doing it. And it was fun to grow together with them. Very cool. So, I mean, what resources were you using, you know, like when you first got started? Okay. I want to learn everything about investing. You know, where were you going and what were you reading? I mean, what what was the first investing book you read? I read, I wouldn't consider, oh, yeah. It's called um, Growing Money by Gail Carlitz. And that was the first book I ever read. It walked through bonds and stocks and what the differences are. Um, there were activities like you called your grandparents to see how much movie tickets were, jeans were, so you could see inflation. Um, and it was really interactive and engaging, um, just like the basics of investment. Um, and so that was kind of where I started there. And then from there, I just kind of emailed professionals, um, cold called them and just hoped to get a response. And I had wonderful people who would answer all of my weird questions about their career, their education. Um, and I've just, I've always been very fascinated with people's uh, trajectories and their careers. So I, when I was super young, I had a board of all of the female CEO CFOs in um, the Fortune 500 companies, and I highlighted like where they went to college, what major they had, like which high school they went to, um, how many credits they graduated with, so that I could possibly follow that trajectory and maybe go to the same school or end up in the same company. Um, so I just have always kind of been interested in digging into other people's careers and learning from that, and then learning from their philosophies and their experiences too. Very cool. And we're, that's actually, you know, I'll segue to that right now because I actually, you know what, hold on. I got to ask this one question too, because 
look, you know, I mean, it's been a while since I was in high school. You're just finishing up right now. I mean, it must be a little frustrating. I mean, I, I, I will look, I don't know your high school. Maybe they have some kind of investing courses or let alone a finance class. I mean, that's probably stretching it, but I mean, yeah. is, was there any kind of school support or infrastructure that helped not just you, but others learning more about investing or was it really kind of, you're on your own finding like-minded people and forming a club? Um, I think with certain schools, there's definitely financial, you know, macroeconomics, microeconomics, there's tons of AP classes like that. Right. Um, but as to financial literacy, I have never had a school that has actually taught me financial literacy or offered a class. Um, the current school I'm at has a senior class that um, I think it's like a semester long class that they take um, at the end just to learn how to balance a checkbook, and um, which is really important tools. Um, but they don't really start earlier on. Um, I tried to get my school to uh, invest their endowment like certain colleges do. It didn't end up working out. But um no, so I haven't really had that structure, but like I said, I've been very, very lucky and very grateful to have all of the other people who have given me that help. Very cool. Okay, so let's segue then from the previous answer, you know, talking about how you really took a lot from your, your influencers out there, um, that, that you just, you, were, you loved what their philosophies were and you've been able to somewhat apply it to your own investing philosophy. So uh, in your bio, you mentioned how you're grounded solidly in the teachings of Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett, and Lauren Templeton, and emboldened by the power of compounding. You know, so what would you say then is your investing philosophy? Um, I'm a strong believer in just investing in what you know. I've been doing it since I'm nine, and it's been working out fine for me. Um, so I just, as a young person still, I have a lot of time, and so it's not about making a lot of money tomorrow, today, or even having dividends that I can use for my retirement. It's really just doing well in like 2050, 2060, 2070. Um, and so I'm just looking for companies that are sustainable for the future. And those tend to be ones that are right near me and um, are, you know, things that I know really well. And in the last chapter of Early Bird, I walk through like companies you can buy in your garage and your, you know, bathroom and your cupboard um, and things that there are just so many things around you. And similar to like Tom and David Gardner, I grew up with a family who would drive down the road and point out Cracker Barrel because we invested in them or um, find McCormick on the shelves and, you know, compare their prices to the other ones. And so I've just always been surrounded by um, people who invested in what they knew. And so I just try to embody that. And I would say that's my philosophy. Gotcha. Okay. So let's take it a step further then. You know, um, what you described a little bit, was kind of like the discovery phase as well. You know, you, you look for things that you know, and then you go from there. So let's say, you know, when with a Hasbro or Mattel, when you first saw those or, you know, any of the other companies that are in your portfolio, you know, what are the few things then that you look for that you're like, okay, now this is something that I want to start taking a position in. What are those, those key things that you look for? I'm a strong believer, believer in socially responsible investing. Um, and so I definitely look at their uh, corporate social responsibility. So their governance, um, their how environmentally friendly they are, how they treat their employees, their employee retention rate. So I pay a lot of attention to those numbers, not just, um, you know, the PE ratio and the dividend. Um, uh, and I also just like to dive into companies a lot more before I invest them, like all investors do. Um, and finding like little local um, companies that people may or may not know a lot about or that aren't super popular um, while still investing in things that I know and feel strongly about. 
So, so have you done a site visit yet as a, as an investor? I have uh, smaller banks. There's a small bank that I invest in that um, I have, but not at larger companies. That would be a dream of mine. Yeah. Oh, well, I have to ask about that experience. What was that like when they see, like, oh, this teenager investor is coming here asking us investing questions. This is interesting. I mean, I, that must have been wild for you. Yeah, um, well, it was super fun. I went to their share, annual shareholders meeting. They're a small bank in Hingham. And um, I ended up being able to interview the CEO um, and president for an article. Um, and it was an amazing, cool experience just to learn about that. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So then, you know, I want to transition now into uh, your book that you wrote when you were uh, 13. Um, I, I, I think I was just trying to get ready for my bar mitzvah when I was 13, <laughs> let alone writing a book. Um, so you, you published your first book, Early Bird, The Power of Investing Young. You know, what inspired you to put this out? I would say 75% was that I had a summer with nothing to do. Um, and I'm not someone who likes to go to the beach or watch Netflix all day. I like to be a little somewhat productive. Um, and then also the year prior, I started my blog, Compounding Snowballs, also over a summer or half of the summer that I didn't have anything to do. And it got so much positive feedback. I created it um, in the same way that I learned to have activities and things for other young people to learn how to invest. And parents and students and kids just reached out to me and said, like, this is super helpful. Like, there's just nothing out there like that. There's no, there's like the basics and the um, coloring books, but there's nothing that bridge the, bridges the gap between the intelligent investor and those coloring books. Um, and so I had nothing to do. And I was like, this would be great. Like, I would love to write a book. It could be super fun. I could have interviews with all of these people that really inspired me. And I could hope to have them inspire other young people. Um there's also, I looked up and there's no young, a book written by a young woman for young people. There was one um, by a young man and he, I think is now 30 or 40 years old. So I thought it might be time for a new one. Um, and then I've also just been interested in writing for the longest time after I bought Mattel and Hasbro and had that whole experience. I wanted to write an article for The Motley Fool and I ended up doing it. And I worked for maybe three or four months on one article that was probably 250 words um, with a woman named Hope Nelson Pope. And um, she made it legible and also somewhat interesting for investment professionals to read. And um, I just have always been interested in the idea that writing is really just editing. And I really like editing. Um, I'm like This year, I founded my high school newspaper. And so just with the joy of writing, I decided that I would like to start a book or write a book. Yeah. Very cool. So and then why about, you know, investing young? I mean, look, I remember when I was a kid, you know, I just I had no awareness, you know, even my father was on Wall Street. I still didn't know where because it was like, all right, dad's going to do money thing. Cool. You know, right. I, I, I didn't it never computed until I was really in college. I was like, oh, he was on Wall Street doing this, you know, and uh, damn, I wish I knew more about investing and did more at that time. So, I mean, is were you are you when you wrote it, were you really talking to people like me where, you know, that just wish they had known more about investing young? Yeah, I think that's exactly why um, all of the investment professionals I talked to always said, if I started five years earlier, if I started 10 years earlier, or if I started one year earlier. And so I was just really hoping that um, this book could be a big push for people to maybe start investing. It's 
um, I wrote it in seventh and eighth grade. And so it's not the most groundbreaking thing, but I was hoping that, you know, if you hear it from a younger voice, um, it's like your parents telling you to do your chores over and over again. It gets annoying. Um, and so if they tell you to save and to invest, that can get annoying. If you're just hearing it from a whole bunch of adults, you might not want to listen to it. But I was hoping that if it was coming from another 13-year-old, that maybe that would help. So, you know, at the beginning of the book, you actually talked about how you, you talked to a few of your colleagues, you know, around the same age, you know, and one question that I, I, I wanted to ask you based on some of the answers you got, I mean, what were some other, some of your colleagues and even yours biggest hurdle to getting started, you know, cause when it comes to investing, I mean, it can seem so daunting, what, whether you're 10 or 32 or 31, you know, so, I mean, what what was what is traditionally or what have you seen as the biggest hurdle to getting started? It would definitely be knowledge. Um, maybe not for me because I was lucky enough to have so many people in the industry um, who would help me. Uh, but some people, it was the lack of knowledge and lack of resources. Um, as a young person, you don't have crazy amounts of money, which is fine because if you invest $50 now, that's going to compound into a lot more than $50, hopefully, in the next years. Um but like selling my American Girl dolls to get that, that was probably a difficult choice for the time. I would probably do it in a blink of an eye now. Um, but I think having the support system and finding those people who would help you um, to invest, I think that was a difficulty in the beginning. And um, although there were lots of people who respected me um, at 10 years old, being a 10-year-old is um, maybe... It, it, not everyone respects you at the same time. And so um, just being a young person can be a struggle on all of this. Yeah, for sure. So what would you say? I mean, you know, as you said, you were fortunate, you had a couple of resources and also you were very resourceful. You like, okay, I know this is my passion. I'm going to reach out to people. Let's say, you know, to those who may not have, it hasn't clicked right away or they didn't have the parents that are giving them the homework, which we all wish we did for that, you know, in hindsight, of course, you know, what would you say to those kids that, um, what are some initial resources they should maybe look at or, or review to maybe help them get their start? I think there's tons of blogs out there that you can read and um, they're more accessible than books. Um, and you can also just skim through until you find articles that apply for you, apply to you. Um, the Montley Fool has the Fool School. Um, they go to specific schools and teach them about financial literacy, but they also have lots of resources online that you could check out. There's plenty of videos on YouTube that help you. Um, I would say whatever you do, stay away from penny stocks and day trading, though. But any other resource is probably good. Um, and then I also think just keeping in mind that this is like your first opportunity to handle money like an adult that you can't really pay rent necessarily or pay your um, maybe pay your taxes. But for some people, maybe not. Um, and so that this is just kind of a unique thing and that might push some people in order to go into investing. Well, you know, look for a microcap podcast, I have to, you know, at least give you a little pushback, you know, I, I, look microcap or penny stocking, that's not for everybody for sure, mm -hmm. especially because there's a much higher risk reward. So, you know, I definitely hear that, you know, for, for maybe some of our younger viewers, but at the same time, you know, you're also dealing with, a, you know, less expensive stocks, you know, you can have, you can put a little bit, you know, less money on the line and, and maybe, you know. Right. So Definitely as a young person, if you're putting 10 bucks in rather than a thousand, that'll um, make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. 
look, at the end of the day, it's all about doing your due diligence. That's the main, that's the main point when it comes to large caps, small caps, micro caps, mm -hmm. you know, whether you're getting your started as early as you did or later, you know, it doesn't matter what asset class is. The more important thing is doing your due diligence. So what, what's interesting about, you know, like what, what we're doing here at Planet Microcap and some of my colleagues out there, you know, Microcap Club, Ian Castle, Mike Schellinger, you know, all these groups that are really all about trying to put out a lot of education covering the microcap or, well, trying to have it that brand and not even use the word penny stock because it has that just negative connotation is, you know, I remember my thesis for this, even with the podcast was that, you know, this is a great place to start because it pushes you to do more due diligence. It pushes you to really learn as much as you can about businesses. Now, look, I can understand at certain age ranges that that can be a tough sell, but I mean, I figured that's probably why you said what you said regarding, you know, staying away from penny stock. Right, completely. I think as a nine-year-old, um, that would have been a huge hurdle to jump over. Um, I think the due diligence of just like looking at any company um, was a lot for me to handle and probably a lot for other people at that age. Um, and like I said, like a lot of my middle school friends would be investing in penny stocks because they had their little penny jar and they knew that they could get, um, you know, a lot for a very small amount of money. And so they were really just investing in it for the amount of money that they could spend and how much, how many shares that they could get because of that and not because of the company and not because of anything else, but because it was literally a penny. Um, and I think as a high schooler, even as a college student, I think that that's something that's totally um, something you can look into. And if you're willing to take the risk and um, not that it's necessarily crazy risky, but that it would be, um, you might not be able to find super reliable companies that could go up and down if you didn't need that money right now to be secure. Um, that that's something that you could totally look into because you have the basic knowledge of math. You have more life experience than a seven, eight or nine year old. Um, but I think I, yeah, I definitely said what I said because of nine younger people. So I think there's definitely two sides of that, depending on how young you are, you might be able to tip, dip your toe into it rather than if you were in like seven. What are some of the things that you do that, that has helped you in your due diligence process along the way? And I'm sure that's evolved quite a bit over your years. Yeah. Um, so I think I just staying informed. Um, I was going to not to jump too far ahead, but uh, with Mattel, I first started out and I just kind of checked the boxes um, of the PA ratio is lower than 20 and the uh, dividend is higher than whatever. And um, I have like my little checkbox that I put in my book, um, but I never really understood what was going on in any of the companies. I just kind of I understood that they made toys that I liked and I understood that the company made a Nerf gun that my brother was now holding. Um, but I didn't really understand any of the background of anything. Um, I just kind of, I was a numbers person and I could say, okay, this is less than this is greater than this is equal to, but I didn't understand anything else. And so being able to understand that, understand, um, that as a shareholder, you have a voice. I was inspired by a really young age by Lauren Templeton, um, who the first story I heard about her was that, she uh, wrote a letter to Sam Walton, the CEO of Walmart at the time, um, not a company I'm a shareholder of, but she was at that time, and said, hey, your bathrooms are really dirty. Um, can you do something about that? Like, it, this isn't acceptable. I'm a shareholder. 
this isn't good. Like, I don't like seeing this in my company. And he wrote back and was appalled and like, I'm so sorry. We'll clean these up. Like they shouldn't be like this. Um, and so just understanding that you have a voice as a shareholder too, was really important for me. Um, cause like I said, at 10 years old, being able to have that much power was crazy. Um, yeah. So, so to, to close the, the, the book, close the book on, you know, your first book that you wrote, Early Bird, The Power of Investing Young. What are some of the main takeaways that you'd like my audience and, and maybe others out there who may not have read it yet that uh, they should look for? Um, invest early and invest often, I think. Uh, and if you aren't necessarily young, that doesn't mean you can't invest now. I think whenever is the best time. Um, and I would say just seek out advice from other people. Um, all investment professionals, for the most part, are really welcome to answering your questions. If you email them, especially as a young person, um, they all feel that if they invested 10 years ago, they would have done better. And so I think they're very um, excited to help out other people. Very cool. All right. So now that brings us to uh, one of the main reasons we're talking today, that you have another book coming out. Uh, by the time I believe by the time this uh, our interview is published, uh, if not very shortly after, and we'll get into that in, in a bit. So the new book that uh, is coming out is called Lighthouses, Women, Women Leading the Way in Finance. I love the title. Can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by uh, lighthouses? Mm -hmm. to start? So, no, um, so... I was always inspired by bios. Like I said, I've been um, interested. I've had my CFO board. Um, I've been stalking plenty of CFOs and CEOs on Twitter and LinkedIn, um, just trying to figure out more about their experience, um, not only as a woman in finance, but just someone. Um, and so I have always been interested in that. And then after I wrote my early bird book, um, I was invited to speak at UMass Amherst's Women in Securities group. They had my book for part of their like curriculum. Um, and so I went in and they all went around the circle, maybe 45, 50 women were there. And they said something they liked about the book or a question they had um, or something they wanted to dispute. And one of the women said that I was a lighthouse for young women in finance. And I was like, whoa, like that's such a powerful word. There's like, I, that was, I was blown away. I didn't know what to say. Um, and I was just in awe of being called that too. And so I was, it was a two hour, three hour drive home from UMass. And so the whole way home, I was like, I have to do something with this. Like, this is amazing to be called that. Like, that's such an honor. And to, and then I realized that I had so many lighthouses in my life, um, that they supported me. They believed in me. They helped me get to where I am today, that I was able to sit in that room with all of these incredible women because of my lighthouses, um, and so to me, the lighthouses are really just these supportive figures in your life that help you navigate rough water, so to speak, um, and see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and for many people, lighthouses look very different, um, whether that's you just know that they went through something similar and that gives you some sort of inspiration um, to persist in that challenge, or if it's people giving you a leg up or hand up, um, if it's people helping you by giving you resources, whatever it is, I think Lighthouse means something different to everybody. But after I heard that, I felt like I had to do something with it and a blog post would not do it justice. Absolutely. Well, that light, you know, when I saw that, I, I thought immediately as, uh, you know, your Lighthouse, it, it guides you to where you need to go, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, and that's, you know, was my take when I, when I, uh, you know, you sent me the introduction, so I, I read through that, and that was that's really cool. So, and also on on your website, you actually give a few examples as well. 
Um, mm -hmm. And that's actually, you know, I love segues. We're going to, we're going to another segue here. So uh, without, without giving away too many of the stories in your upcoming book, you know, what was one or two of the, of the stories that really resonated with you? This was a hard question. I, as I tell my parents every night, I love them all. They all inspire me in so many different ways. Um, and, but I would have to say that it is all of them. Um, but it would also be their story. So in each of the beginnings of the chapter, they tell us little short, maybe paragraph long story about their lighthouses and people who have impacted them. Um, and just seeing the range of the responses to that and see who have helped them with, throughout their career um, or just people that they may or may not know who have inspired them. Um, for one woman, it's the Hong Kong protesters who are um, protesting and um, standing up for freedom. It, for other people, women, it's their own um, gut feelings, their own um, intuition, and that that's really helped them through every struggle. Of course, there's family members, parents, mom, dad, um, with some people's bosses. And so I felt like that really inspired me to seek out other, um, other lighthouses in my life in that way. Um, for me specifically, there is a young woman named Monsoon Fabry who I interviewed, um, and I split up the book into founders, uh, managers, and analysts, um, and a few other sections, and she I put in the student section because she's pretty early on in her career, similar to me. She's a little bit older, um, but she talked about mailing out like 2,000 resumes because she's old-fashioned. She likes to mail out her resumes and not just email them. So she'd mail out 2,000 and get like six interview requests back and then end up getting one job offer. And to have that very tangible um, hardship of trying to get a job in finance as a woman, um, I felt was something that I was going to experience and um, was a struggle that I knew having her guidance um, when I go through that to reflect on would be super helpful for me. So for that, I felt um, just was something that really resonated with me. I was going to say, I, I'm sure you can't help but have that awareness, you know, especially writing this and talking to uh, women from all, all aspects of business and finance, you know, hearing some of the unfortunate horror stories as well. You know, it's, it must be difficult. You know, you're just finishing up high school going to college, eventually the workforce, you know, and, and kind of just being aware and knowing some of these things that are out there. I mean, how do you, how do you take in all that information? Um, well, part of it's that a lot of these women came out super strong and are doing better than they ever have. Um, there's one story about a woman who was fired for being pregnant on Wall Street, um, which is horrible, and it was a long time ago, but it probably still happens at some companies, and she made it her lifelong goal to make sure that every woman who got pregnant um, felt welcome, felt supported, felt cared for, and felt like they would get the care at that company that they needed. And so she was a lighthouse for one woman, um, and I ended up interviewing her, and she talked about that experience, that she went into the room and told her boss that she was pregnant, and her boss, the woman who ended up was fired years ago, um, was super like congratulations like oh my gosh that's so wonderful like you can have like this care that care and was um just the experience that she never had before um and so just seeing that passed down and seeing that these women have fought so hard but are also willing to fight and make a difference for other women has um helped me yeah absolutely so you know uh, why also was it important for you to write lighthouses and and to highlight women in finance 
Um, like I said throughout this whole interview, I've had so many people who have helped me and to help others find their lighthouses. Um, and just using these stories kind of in composite, you might not completely resonate with every person or feel like those stories are relatable or helpful to you. But if you can take one thing away from each one of them, or if you can take one thing away from the whole book, I feel like I would have made some sort of different um, difference. And so I just hope that the stories would inspire others to pursue a career in finance or push through struggles that somebody else went through or something similar. Um, and then I really tried to do that with having everyone from founders to CEOs to students to people like somewhat mid-career um, and like I said, I've just been surrounded by my mom and my grandmother, who are very um, close lighthouses to me, to people who are very professional and kind of giving those people that look to. This is my favorite question I, I ask all our guests on here is, um, you know, what, what you probably have already answered it, but maybe there's another one. You know, what, what investing experience would you say taught you the most thus far in your career? Similar to Lighthouses, I think that they've all taught me many different things. Um, the one that I talk about the most would be Mattel, uh, that I, like I said, I looked at all of the, checked all the boxes on the numbers, and I didn't know that there's Steve Jobs coming along with all of his iPads and other activities, and that um, Mattel was about to go through a pretty hard time. Um, even though I was aware of, you know, body images with Barbies and other things, I just didn't really put two and two together. Um, and so I just, I learned a really big lesson of humility there. Um, I wasn't crazy confident in my choice as a 10 year old, but I felt pretty good about it. And I learned that I had to look at the bigger picture. Um, I had to look at the numbers and not just, and what's going on in the toy industry and other industries and how that would impact that. Um, and so that was my biggest lesson so far. But like I said, I think with every single company I've invested in, um, it would, I would learn something different and continue to learn a lot. Very cool. So then, and my next question, you've answered more or less, but I, maybe it's a good wrap up question here, you know, so what advice do you have for new investors that are interested in investing in the stock market? I think it's probably take advantage of the community. Yeah. Fintwit is probably my favorite thing. Um, I like to say that I would much rather be in the Fintwit community than high school. Uh, so, <laughs> I would say take advantage of the community, even if it's just over social media. It's a it's a very uh, powerful and funny community. Yeah. That that is quite possibly the best answer. The, you want to be part of the FinTwit community more so than even high school. That is, oh, that's gold. That is too good. So <laughs> so so with that, where can my audience go and find more information about you and to buy you, you know both uh, uh, Early Bird and also Lighthouses. So both of my books are on Amazon right now. Um, they're in independent bookstores. If you just ask for them, my Twitter is at Finding Moats. Um, and then my blog is compoundingsnowballs.blogspot.com. Perfect. Well, Maya, thank you so much for joining me today. And actually, before I let you go, audience, I, I know they're already asking me, what, what, what college are you going to? I don't know. I'm still, so I'm a junior, but I'm graduating over the summer. Okay. Um, and then I'm going to have some sort of gap year that's to be determined. So I'll be applying to colleges next year. So still figuring all of that out. But if they have any offers for me, just send them right to my email. Oh, I'm, sh I'm sure there will be. Well, Maya, with that, thank you again for joining me. I wish you the best of luck. Stay safe. And, and seriously, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me.